I would have been about nine or ten when I, I, I don't know where I got it from, but I got a, the very best of Elton John on tape. And I obsessively listened to that. I wore that tape out. It's been rewinding at my favourite points. I've still got the tape, I think, and you get to certain points and it fades out because I've rewound it at that point so many times. Uh, I just loved it. I loved everything about it, all the songs on there. So I started developing. One of my favourites was Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. I just loved the guitaring on it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Less Than Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining to me today in another timey-wimey episode, it is my morning, uh, Graham's afternoon, but Graham Lees, I believe that's how you say the last name, right? Perfect. Most people get it wrong, but that was perfect. Oh, yeah. Graham Lees is joining me. Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's a, a real honor to be invited on. Well, I am thrilled you're here. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Okay, uh, I'm 39 years old. I work uh, the equivalent of what you would call the IRS in the in the United States. Uh, very much hated profession here, revenue and customs. That's what we call it. Uh, I come from the northwest of England, a small town called Chorley which is about 30 miles north of Manchester, maybe a bit less. But unlike in America, where 30 miles is nothing, that seems a long way to me. So going to Manchester is quite a a big event for me to do. But uh, apart from that, what else would you like to know about me? I can tell you anything. Well, no, I think that's uh, that's a good start because I've already got a couple questions. Of One, do your friends give you a hard time about your gig well i often get asked advice and i don't know if they want advice on how to avoid paying tax or they think because there's so many different departments in in the revenue and customs i i don't know most of it i know a very small section of it and people come to me with all sorts of advice uh, and i usually i try and make up and pretend like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> And then about an hour later, I just tell them, do you know what? It may be best not listening to me and giving someone else a call. That's interesting. <laughs> um, the What I love is um, your, your comment about 30 miles being a long way. Um, it So I grew up um, a lot. We moved around a lot when I, my dad was in the Army. So we moved to different schools. But when I think of growing up, it's it's in um, Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is if you can picture Louisiana is a boot. It's in the heel of the of this of the state of the boot. And my grandparents lived in Rose Pine, Louisiana. And so we would go often. We would drive up on Friday night and we would spend the weekend with my grandparents and the drive from Moss Bluff which is the little suburb my mom and dad my mom lived in and we lived in when I was in high school to DeRitter or Rose Pine maybe 45 50 minutes okay okay yeah and um so as a kid I remembered you know it takes about an hour to get to grandma and grandpa's and it just seemed forever. So, yeah, I think that's my problem too. It right. still seems forever. So then in 86, Lynn and I moved to Dallas, Texas. And DFW is what they call it. It's Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And it can be – my wife, before she retired, had a 35-minute to 45-minute commute every day from where we lived to where her office was. 
So um, I've always had a 25, 30 minute commute. Um, so we, the first time we went back to Louisiana to visit my, my mom and we're like, okay, well, obviously we got to go see grandma and grandpa. So we get in the car and we're talking and before we knew it, we were there and, and it's just, it was the same distance, but the perception after living in such a big city where everything is 20 to 30 minutes away, depending on, unless you really stay in your neighborhood, um, it, you know, it's just, you're used to it. And so I, and my, my mom still says, well, I've got to go to town and I'm saving up my errands to run for town. Town is 15 minutes away. I mean, it, it, at the most, but she has to go into town because she is used to that little small community, which everything is, you know, five to 10 minutes away you know, four or five miles, I guess would be about 10 or 15 kilometers. Yeah. And it's just, so I, I love that story because it, it is just a perception, isn't it? Well, yeah, I was listening to one of your podcasts a while back and you were saying about, was it going to Houston to watch a, a Bruce gig? And you said it was okay. It was only three and a half hours away. Now you can get to the other end of the country in three and a half hours here. <laughs> Yeah, and it just seemed like if I, if you were told you got a three and a half hour drive, you'd go about what do I, I need to? I need to stay over. I need to book hotels. I need, <laughs> I need to work out the transport. This is going to be really tricky to uh, organise, but it just seems there. It's kind of we'll just drive three and a half hours. It's not far to go. It seems it, it blows my mind. What what still blows my mind, Graham, is growing up in Louisiana and I've been living in Texas since '86. I've spent very little time on the East Coast, and especially the Northeast. And um, I will talk to people, you know, that um, New York, Connecticut, um, you know, uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Maryland, or, you know, all these states. And, you know, I would have friends that say we would go two state lines just for a meal because it's really only, you know, like a, a 30, 45 minute drive, but we may go through two state, you know, states lines versus, you know, Texas is so huge <laughs> that, um, from the east to the west end of Texas and the longest, I think is eight or 900 miles. Really? Well, yeah. In England, I think in the UK, you're never more than 70 miles from, from the coastline. Yeah. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why your weather's a lot milder than ours, isn't it? it it's temperate, I think they say is the word. It's yeah. moderate. Uh, last week it was, it was well, scorching for us. It was mid-twenties mm-hmm. for, for the last two or three weeks. Uh, today it's just about 12 degrees, and that's probably what we would normally expect this time of year, 12 to 15 degrees Celsius, not Fahrenheit, obviously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it just it, it just it flicks and it, it flitters around all the time, and it's rained. I know it's famous for raining a lot here, but it hasn't really rained a lot this year, so that's a bit worrying. Yeah. So Graham, I, I promise, audience, we're going to get to Bruce in a minute. <laughs> um, but I always joke about, you know, my other big passion is Doctor Who, and um, I always joke that um, the fourth doctor, the Tom Baker, you know, wore the big, you know, he had the big scarf and he had the big coat and he had the big hat. And then Peter Davison, you know, always, he had that cricket jacket on, but he also wore a a sweater underneath. And um, when I see people at conventions dressing up, and it's called cosplay, um, you know, so we see someone dressed up as Tom Baker, fourth doctor and it's you know it's a hundred degrees um in atlanta you know it no it, you know it's a hundred degrees here in atlanta <laughs> and you know and they're dressed up like that and i'm like obviously um when they were designing um <laughs> this costume they were not thinking of you know because that would be like 37 38 celsius so they did not design this. And I always, when I watch Doctor Who, I go, how are they not sweating? Well, there's a reason the Doctor never 
retardist his way to Texas. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Um, so, thank you, by the way. My heart just smiled when you said TARDIS. Um, <laughs> the, so, um, talk about growing up, Graham. You, you talk about, I, uh, you grew up here, um, there in the UK. Talk about, um, as a kid, what kind of music did your family listen to? Were they musical? And what did you like? Uh, well, as a kid. the big sh- surprise is my parents didn't really listen to music. I, I wasn't brought up with any sort of, uh, some would say brainwashing of the, of the children. It wasn't done to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, all my, all my parents used to talk about was how wonderful the sixties were. I was born in 1980. Uh, that how much they loved the Beatles, but for some reason they were no longer listening to music at home. So I wasn't, really subjected to anything and I, I've got to admit I didn't really like pop music uh, we had Top of the Pops in this country that was on every week and my dad used to try and make me watch it because I think he saw that I wasn't really interested in music which I'm not saying it was their fault but I just had no interest in it it was all, all soccer for me football so when a, a pop song would come on the telly I, I would change stations so I wouldn't listen to the radio like that I think the first song that I ever really took notice of was, uh, I don't know if you know it, it, uh, it was called Band-Aid, it was Do They Know It's Christmas. Sure, absolutely. And that was the first song, that I was absolutely mesmerised by that. I was four when it came out, I'd just turned four, I forced my mum to go out and buy it for me. And I listened to it non-stop that Christmas, and probably the next five or six Christmases as well on top. What do you think about it spoke to you? I don't know, and it wasn't anything to do with the lyrics. It wasn't that deep at four at four years old. Yeah, I just loved the tune. I, I just thought it was a brilliant tune. Uh, it just the the there's like a chime at the start, and it just yeah. really really it, drew me in. Um, I know that um, it can be it can be corny for it, and then you know we are the world, which was the U.S. version yeah. of you know. But when you take away all the sentiment and just listen, one, they, I really like the songs. I like, I both of them and I, and I, and they came from good places. Were there sports figures when they recorded the video of Do They Know It's Christmas? Was that part of the reason? Was there? No, it was looking back now when you see it, it was all British pop stars at the time. So, uh, the biggest ones being Sting. Perhaps uh, I don't I don't know who who crossed over to the United States at that time, but the biggest, the most famous people were people like Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran and Status Quo. And you uh, two, right? A couple. Yeah, Bono YouTube. especially from you yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, featured in that. It was it was interesting because um, being um, so to tell you the age difference, right? I guess. Um, I was in my, gotta be my twenties. Um, so I remember watching that and, you know, obviously knew Boy George, um, did not really know Bob, uh, Gandalf at all. Um, you know, I was not a fan of, of, I, there was a lot of British music I didn't get into. Um, that's, that's a great memory. Um, and what a cool thing. Did did that lead you? Because you're already you're already that young, obsessed with sports. Um, did when did you start liking adding music fandom into your kind of choice of entertainment? And I assume you're still a sports fanatic. Absolutely, still a sports fanatic. Mm-hmm. So it's soccer, cricket. I've recently got into uh, NFL, American football. Okay. Uh, which is a very recent thing for me because I just feel that if you know the rules of a sport, you'll enjoy a sport. And I just didn't know the rules. So yeah. I'm slowly learning that. I still can't work out baseball. It, it is, it, it is, there is a lot of weirdness to baseball. And also I think, I think the same thing could be said, like from American perspective, um, understanding cricket, um, or even in a lot of ways, um, you know, soccer, football, um, 
and I always thought this was an interesting story. Um, one of the guys, um, I, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio when I'm not listening to music. And a Craig is one of the morning guys. And he just had, was not a soccer fan, not a fan of European football. And um, Bob, another one of the hosts, said, well, that's because you're, you're, you're watching it um, clinically. What I recommend you doing is get a team. Pick a team you're going to follow. And then do a little research, learn a little bit of history, and then follow them for a season. You know, learn some of the players, learn the history, and then give yourself a season where you follow it. At the end of the season, let's talk again to see if you're a fan. And Craig now, and I don't remember which team he picked, but he says he he adores it. He adores everything about it. The whole idea of if you don't finish high enough, you go to a lower league. Um, <laughs> you know, it just because I know about pain. Right. He became passionate about the team and the sport because he had an emotional connection. Absolutely. That is that is 100%. I support a team called Oldham Athletic, who were a Premier League team 25 years ago. They, were, they weren't Premier League when I started supporting them. And now they're languishing in, in the bottom division. But I still love watching them. It doesn't matter where they're playing and who they're playing against. Uh, it's just... You can't change that team once you've got into it. When it came to American football, I I picked the worst team around at the time because Oldham are the underdogs, so I like the underdogs. So I picked the Cleveland Browns. And then last season we got... uh, It it seemed to that we we had some hope and we think we're going to do well. We could even get into the playoffs. And then even though it was better than the previous couple of seasons... It just kind of petered out, especially that Pittsburgh Steelers game where Garrett took the guy's helmet off. And but I'm used to the disappointment. I quite like it. Maybe maybe that's why spring summer Springsteen's music appeals to me as well. So that's yeah. Um, my buddy um, Charles Skaggs, who does the Doctor Who podcast with me, is a, a huge Cleveland uh, sports fan because he's there in Columbus, and that's the closest city. Um, and it is, um, it is kind of interesting to see that and to get that uh, fandom. Um, so uh, that, that's cool. So we'll see how Cleveland does. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping the best for Dallas this season, but it, it seems, um, the joke we've been doing as local Dallas fans is, um, you know, we got a new coach and I was always a fan of Jason Garrett, who was the coach of the Cowboys. Because he's a huge Springsteen fan. He grew up in the Jersey Shore. Um, you know, he just, he wrote a paper on Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen when he was in Princeton. Um, so when, you know, so I'm, I'm going to pull for a guy who's a Springsteen fan, but he was not doing well. It was time. We got a new coach. We had a good draft class. And now, of course, the pandemic happens. And are we going to even have a damn season? <laughs> Yes. Well, it's the same with soccer this now. Is it going to finish? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. I think, <clears throat> I think it's important. And, and obviously I want people to be safe, but yes, you're right. Like, okay, I, I think we need this. Um, so okay. After we've calmed down our sports, uh, um, yeah, sorry. No, no, this is great. <clears throat> I, I love this. Um, as you're reaching what we call high school, so you're, you're getting closer. Did you start developing a, well, a, a, you know, musical taste? Yeah, I think obviously well before what you call high school, I would have been about nine or ten when I, I, I don't know where I got it from, but I got a, the very best of Elton John on tape, and I uh, obsessively listened to that. So Graham, I got to share with you Could. the first eight track. That's how old I am. I bought with my own money was Elton John's Greatest Hits. The original with him, the big sunglasses, uh, you know, your song, all the things on it. So you and I are kindred spirits. So anyway, you picked Absolutely. up Elton. I wore that tape out. It's been rewinding at my favorite points. I've still got the tape, I think, and you get to certain points and it fades out. 
because I've rewound it at that point so many times. Uh, I just loved it. I loved everything about it, all the songs on there. So I started developing. One of my favourites was Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. I just loved the guitaring on it, uh, <clears throat> which got me into around 1990, a band from Sweden were around called Roxette. I don't know if you've heard of them. And they had a song called Joyride, and I became obsessed with with Roxette at that point. And so that kind of led me to more guitar-based music, which uh, I really enjoyed listening to, even though it was pop. It was pop with a guitar. But I just loved it, absolutely loved it. And then when you come into the high school age, I made friends with a, a guy called Gareth, and he got me into R.E.M., and that was my first real love when it came to music. They spoke to you, huh? Yeah, it was... Uh, I've not come to my, my real uh, uh, genesis moment when it comes to music, but R.E.M. were close. But yeah, I, I loved listening to Losing My Religion. It was just it just a perfect song for me. Once again, it wasn't so much about the lyrics at that point. It was the tunes and Michael Stipe, the way he sang. He didn't really sing to me. He wasn't a great singer. He just he, he spoke those words like he meant them. And absolutely. For a couple of years, it was nothing but REM, 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 bit of rock set. <laughs> well, then Oasis happened. So I don't know uh, how much of Oasis you heard back in the day when they were famous. Yeah, I, I enough. I mean, a little bit. Oasis happened, and when I first heard a song of theirs off their first album called Cigarettes and Alcohol, that's when everything just completely changed for me. Uh, it just sounded, it was a, it was a, just a really dirty song. Dirty guitar, dirty lyrics, and uh, Liam Gallagher's vocals, I just felt it was just the perfect song. And I still do, I absolutely love that song to this day. I mean, it, it, it stands for nothing that I stand for. Yeah, cigarettes, the whole court wise and the, and the lyrics they talk about. But I just, I just absolutely fell for Oasis. So for the next seven years, through high school into college, well, we finish high school at 16 and go on to college for two years before, before it's university. So through college and high, uh, high school and college, it was pretty much Oasis and then the Beatles uh, from that because they talked about the Beatles all the time. Sure. I thought, well, my mum and dad were always talking about them when I was a kid. Maybe I should start listening to them now. And I got obsessed with the Beatles too. I think Baby You're a Rich Man was my favourite song. I don't know why. No idea why, but I listen to that all the time. That's hilarious. So when did Bruce enter the picture? Well, I, when I contacted you, actually, when we first spoke, I told you I was a late comer to Bruce Springsteen. I, I knew about him. So it was one of those kind of in this country, you see everything American. We get all the films coming over and we see maybe a, a picture of America that Americans want us to see. And in the back of that, Bruce Springsteen was always around. So I always known about him. Sure. But this is one of, the, one of the things in this country. People can tell you three Bruce Springsteen songs and probably not much else. Right. You can tell you're born in the USA. Streets of Philadelphia and maybe Dancing in the Dark, which is strange considering he sells out, sells out all the stadiums. I mean, there's a massive Springsteen fan base here, but yes. in the normal zeitgeist of the countries, people don't know that much about him. They just know of him. Yes, that makes sense. And I think it must have been 1993 when I got my first real taste of Springsteen when Streets of Philadelphia came out, and it was a I think he got to number three in the charts in this country. I, ca- I can't say I was a big fan of the song at the time, but my friend Gareth, who got me into R.E.M., his his parents, his dad, got him into Springsteen mm-hmm. when he was a kid. So he started making me listen to stuff that was going on. But I didn't pay it that much attention. Then I got another friend called Henry. He, would, he went to watch Springsteen in the 80s with his mum and dad. They'd put Springsteen into him, so he would start playing me Springsteen stuff. Very much like, you know, in, in Blinded by the Light, the film, mm-hmm. where his friend gives him the tapes. That never quite happened to me until, well, until about 10 years ago, really. Yeah. So I was, I would have been in my mid 
early 30s when I started listening to Bruce Springsteen properly. And that was only because I got tickets to a concert. But if I go back, when when The Rising came out, yeah, one, one of the things I can remember, but the day that came out, I went uh, for a few drinks with a mate, Gareth, and he bought the album that day. And I stayed at his house that night, and he put The Rising on, and we were chatting while it was on. I remember we were falling asleep. I can remember my City of Ruins coming on, and it kind of made me sit up and listen to it because I just thought it was the most amazing song I'd ever heard at the time. And I still do, to be quite honest. The, I, just a couple of comments. And, um, I was a casual fan as well. Like everyone else, bought Born in the USA, uh, bought Tonal Love, bought the box set. But um, he was just one of the bands I'd listened to. Um, and then after 9-11, they did that um, telethon to raise money. And it opened with Bruce and Clarence and Patty and a few other members of the E Street Band doing, you know, My City of Ruins. And I was destroyed by that song. You know, I can still remember him going, Prayer for Our Fallen Brothers and Sisters. And, um, you know, I had to go get The Rising. And then my first concert was 2002 on The Rising Tour here in Dallas. And it after that, it was over. That's all she wrote, as they say. I became obsessed. <laughs> it's a very similar story for me. <laughs> I didn't – I can't have listened to that song – after that, till about a couple of months before I went to see him for the first time, which was in 2013. In the interim period, I'd bought, I'd bought Born in the USA, and I loved it. And I, I, I thought to myself, that's obviously the pinnacle of Springsteen, Born in the USA. Sure. It's where his most famous song comes from. It's where his second most famous, famous song comes from, and all the rest in between is brilliant as well. I'm going down... Was, Definitely my favorite on that album. Yeah. I mean, it's like someone saying uh, Joshua Tree. Okay, I've got Joshua Tree. I've got you two figured out. Yeah, absolutely. And then one day, my friend, the other friend, Henry, was driving his car, and he said to me, he goes, you know, this is one of the greatest songs ever written, and he put uh, Downbound Train on as loud as he could in his car. And I'd never really paid much attention to it before. But when he played that and made me listen to it, I just thought, yeah, that is a, a phenomenal song. It's just those first open, opening lyrics. Mm-hmm. I had a job, I had a girl, had something going on, Mr. in this world. Yeah. So positive. And then it's so, it just turns itself on its head. And I'd never really noticed it before. And that was this moment for me as well, that moment. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really, I still didn't. I bought them Born to Run, but I didn't listen to it that much. I enjoyed Thunder Road and Born to Run, but I didn't listen to most of the album. I had a, a thing where I'd buy an album, just listen to the songs I wanted to listen to on it and kind of not pay attention to the rest of it if it wasn't an artist I was that interested in. Sure. And then I saw Springsteen playing Glastonbury on TV and thought that looked, that was around the Wrecking Ball tour time. I thought, well, that looks like a good show. So I bought me and my, men, my mate Gareth tickets to go and watch him in, in Glasgow in Scotland. It was sold out in Manchester, so I couldn't drive 30 miles to it. I had to go 200 miles to Glasgow to watch him. So it was a, a bit of a journey. But we got there. We watched the show. And from that moment on, like your your story in 2002, from 2013, from the day after the show, I was a, I was an obsessive. It, it completely turned me. Yeah, I, and I know you've listened to the podcast before, so you know this phrase. But I, I it's worth bearing. At least I'm going to repeat it. You know, two kinds of people: the people who go to their first show that say, "Wow, that was long," and the second are, <laughs> "Oh my goodness, I want to go see this man perform anytime I can." Um, and it sounds like you were very much in the second category. Oh, absolutely. And I was looking at that first show because a couple of months before we were going, uh, Gareth lent me some, some albums, one of them being The Rising. And I've, I rediscovered My City of Ruins. 
But I thought there's such a big back catalogue here. There's chances of seeing that song perform live are slim. And he played it, and it was a, one of the best moments uh, musically up up until that point in my life, to be quite honest. Because at the, in that tour, he was doing this thing where he would, that was the song where he'd give the big talk in the middle of it. Uh, and yes. at that point, I was just completely in the moment at that point, listening to that song live. Uh, I still think about that now. And I... I always said that it put me in a good mood for about three years, that concert. <laughs> that is nice. <laughs> That's a nice, that is that is a heck of a compliment. Well, I just felt that work had been a bit rubbish for a while, uh, things in my personal life. I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm talking it up too much when I say that, you know, it was a big turning point in my life, to be quite honest, that concert. It just, everything just seemed so much better afterwards and like a different aspect I'd, I'd, like a curtain had gone over the bad things that had happened the last previous few years and then it was like a new a new beginning really and I don't really know how three hours three and a half hours watching Bruce Springsteen can do that it, it that is a beautiful story um because it it if we've established anything in the three, four years I've been doing this show is the power of music can work miracles. Um, and, and to have this moment, um, kind of as, as, you know, Springsteen will, Bruce will talk about, you know, we're having a rock and roll revival. Um, as I mentioned, I grew up in the South. I grew up, uh, going to Southern Baptist churches. And you would have at least once or twice a year a revival where you would have church every night and there'd be a guest preacher. There'd be a lot of music and a lot of preaching and, and you know, and the whole idea is to revive your spirit, uh, to kind of get you repumped and rededicated. Um, and it sounds like that's exactly what this first show did to you, was it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not a religious person. I went to church as a child. My parents go to church. And when I showed them, when I got back, they asked me how the concert was. And I found the, the on YouTube, the video of him singing My City of Ruins at Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And my mum and dad just said, oh, it's a gospel song. And I'd never really thought of it that way, but it, it kind of is at the end. Yes, it is. Um, there is, I think there is a lot of spirituality and beauty in his music. So I totally agree. So um, I always like to preface this. Um, you know, uh, Graham, the amount of times you see him have nothing to do with how big of a fan you are. But how many times have you seen him perform live? That show in Glasgow constitutes 50% okay. of my concert. So twice. Okay. Uh, the second time was in Manchester in the uh, River Tour, mm-hmm. the River yes. 30 years, 35 Years Tour. Yeah. Uh, that was the show. I don't know if it, if anyone found out about it. Though. It was it was May, May the 26th, 2016, mm-hmm. and a guy turned up in a Santa suit with a, a a request board asking for Santa Claus is coming to town, and they played it. It made the local news here. Yes, I remember. I, yeah, um, I always think that's funny um, that of all the sign requests to have, you know, I, I but hey, to each their own. Um, I always thought, put it down to maybe that was the only song in you. you know, and, <laughs> well, and like my, my buddy Junior, um, who has been on the podcast and, you know, I do another podcast with always makes the joke that Santa Claus is coming to town as, Chris, as Bruce's biggest hit. Um, and it may be in a lot of ways. Um, when, but that makes me touch on that concert. I never really liked the song Hungry Heart until that concert. Obviously being the River Tour, he played it and I got within about three feet of Bruce Springsteen at that point. So that was the highlight nice. for me. So Hungry Heart now was a... a isn't such a bad song. It, and not a bad song. It just was one of, one of my least favourite sure. of, of his hits. Uh, I know the other day on Twitter we, people were commenting on what was the 
unpopular opinion they had on Bruce songs. Right. And one of them, mine was going to be Hungry Heart. I saw yours was Jungle Land. Jungle Land. Yes. I said we'd have words about that. Yes. <laughs> um, it is. I, I and I always in my defense is I'm not saying it's a bad song, and I get why people think it is this epic, you know, cinema. But just for some reason, the song has never. There are songs that move me to tears. There are songs that um, speak to my heart, and there are, um, and for just some reason, Jungle Land just wasn't the song. Now, epic, and the saxophone solo is truly um, amazing, but it's just not a song that touches my soul, Um, and I always kind of feel guilty about that. Because I realize to a lot of people that's heresy. So, <laughs> well, uh, one of the reasons I like it is because the day after the Glasgow concert, I went shopping and I bought as much as I could afford uh, to make up for the years that I'd not been buying Springsteen sure. albums and stuff. And one of the things I bought was the live at Hyde Park London's Calling DVD. Right. Uh. And the, the performance of Jungle Land on that, I think, is absolutely superb. And so that was my first experience, really, of listening to that song. Mm-hmm. Then it goes on to I listen to it on Born to Run. And I don't think it, it's not the same yeah. on the studio as it, is, as, as it is live. The other thing I bought was the the promise, the making of the Dance on the Edge of Town DVD. Right. And I'd never listened to Dance on the Edge of Town up until that point. And I can 100% say after watching that DVD, it's my favourite album of all time. Because mm-hmm. when you watch that DVD and you just see the work that went into making that one album, the months it took, the, the attention to detail that went into making it, and you think, I don't, I don't believe that a lot of musical artists now put that effort into making an album. Yeah. In... And the idea, you know, that you still, there is, he mentions every once in a while, there is a fully done album that he just has never released, and not Western Star, something else, that he just, he worked on and just decided, well, I'm just, I don't think it's ready. It's not baked yet. And the idea sitting there, just waiting to happen, is amazing. Um, What was your take on Western Stars? I loved it. It was about this time last year it came out, wasn't it? Yes. Me and my friends, we go away to, I don't know if you've heard of the Lake District in the, in England. It's a, a national park in England. So once a year, we go up for a weekend. Up there. It was last year when we went, the Friday was the day it was released. So me and Gareth went, listened to it on the way up. And instantly it was just, it just felt, it felt like I shouldn't be saying it at the time, but it felt like, the best solo effort that he'd done. Yeah. It, it is... It, I know that... Um, you know, and I've had people on the show that talk about it wasn't the album they wanted. They wanted another magic. They wanted something showing the anger of what's going on uh, here in the U.S. Um, but I... I felt like it was a collection of short stories and that t- telling from um, his just of his life. And, and um, last night I, I watched a movie that I'd heard a lot about, but I just had never spent the time to do it called The Last Movie Star. And Adam Rifkin, who has directed Detroit Rock City, he did. Um, director's cut with Penn Jillette, but it was basically Burt Reynolds playing a Burt Reynolds character. Uh, he plays, he's this um, character, This the actor is someone who is the top movie star, box office, had all these action roles, and now then at the end of his life was regretting a lot of things. And it's a road picture um, he goes to Nashville to attend what he thinks is a prestigious film festival, and it's not. It's like 30 people in a bar. Um, 
but uh, Reynolds is really good in it. In fact, this is one of the last films he ever did. And I recommend it because I kept picturing that this character could be the guy in um, talking of Western Stars. In the actual song, Western Stars. Yeah, the actual song, yes. I mean, I'm like, this could be that guy. Um, so I mean, I, go ahead. That character is a very specific character it in that is. song. It's, it's not, it's not one of those characters could, that could be written about anyone. There's definitely something in mind there. Yeah. So if you get a chance to see it, um, listeners, uh, and, and watch it with it, and it's not a perfect film. It drags in a few places. Um, the, uh, he interacts a lot with, um, the younger daughter, I can't think of the actress's name, that from Modern Family, who played the uh, the younger daughter, um, is the kind of um, she a surrogate daughter. They end up bonding, uh, but it's it's really good, and especially with the thought of the song Western Stars. Um, yes, I, I still love it, and um, and then I loved it even more after the film. I I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about the film. I thought it sounded amazing. I thought the orchestra of that barn and just the, the way he's talking in between the songs. and You don't get that with a lot of albums. You don't get the, the thoughts of the person that's written it talking to you before the song's performed. So, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, what What have I not asked you that I should? Oh grief! Uh, I'm trying to think now. There's there's so much to go to go on about. Uh, just trying to think now. Well, you've talked a little bit about songs and albums. Um, I don't know if there's any more you specifically want to bring up that that have me- a special meaning to you. Yeah, uh, if I should fall behind is the one. I think a lot of people will say we'll have a special meeting. Unfortunately, when I got married, I wasn't a Springsteen fan. That would have been our first dance song, if I had have been. Instead, we had Annie's song by John Denver. Oh, uh, that's, a, that's a lovely song. It is. It's a great song, and and there's no regrets yeah. there for having that. It's just, I think, If I Should Fall Behind would have been perfect. Absolutely perfect. But, yeah, Annie's song's still a great song, so I'm not, no regrets about it. Is she a fan? She is a fan by proxy now. She, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, I completely, because I went through my transition into Springsteen whilst I was married, so I brought her with me. Nice. So yeah, uh, when it was me and Gareth went to the, the show in Glasgow, it was me, Gareth, and, and Jenny went to mm-hmm. uh, the show in Manchester. So yeah, if I was to go without her, she would be absolutely. She would be. Well, there might be divorce. I get that. I understand. If I was to do that. That's nice. Um, all right, so hopefully he's going to tour again. Hopefully he's going to go to over to Europe. He always does. Um, whether you make the 30-mile trip or <laughs> the four-hour trip, um, you get to see him again. Are there songs that you have mentally, like, okay, on my your bingo, your wish list? Oh, I'd really love to hear him do this live. Yeah, Independence Day. I've never nice. seen Independence Day. That that would be perfect. I, I, a lot of people that I know that are Springsteen fans are quite jealous because in that Glasgow show, he did tougher than the rest. Yeah. And I've got friends that have been to see him 15 times that say he's, he's never done tougher than the rest when I've been to watch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel quite privileged. The night before the Manchester show, I tweeted Steve Van Zandt saying, oh, please play Atlantic City. And they opened with Atlantic City. So I don't know if I did that. Oh, you take credit. I, I, I have, have done, yeah. Exactly. You, <laughs> yes. I've taken complete credit for that. You yeah, should. Independence Day is... I, I thought that was a given when it was the River Tour. A given they'll play Independence Day, but they didn't. So... Uh, Which was sad because... Um, and I, I get them. I, I also... I did talk about this. The the frustrating things about fandom at times is, you know, when he first started the U.S. tour, he was doing the river from front to back. 
and there were a percentage of fans complaining, oh, he's lost his spontaneity, he's now just an oldies act, I can't believe he's just going through the motions and doing a full album. And then when he went to Europe, he ditched that format and went back to a more traditional concert. And then there was the other percentage of fans, oh, I can't believe I'm not getting the river all to go. I was chasing like Independence Day or my father's house. You know, wreck on the highway. I can't believe that I'm not going to get to hear these songs. <laughs> I mean, I got it because I think there's some of those songs don't work in a big opener stadium. Yes, I, I think, and and that's what little Stephen, I think, said on Twitter. Something is that Bruce, Bruce knows what will work and what won't, and he's very special about that. But I do understand the frustration of because. Getting the whole river, there are songs that you would not have gotten. What I think is interesting, you you mentioned a little bit about this um, with uh, Hungry Heart. Um, I was not a big Independence Day fan. I mean, I didn't dislike it, but um, and I'd actually heard it live once before. But when I went to my first show on the river uh, tour, and he talked about the idea of his father and him. And it hit me that he was, if not the, his father's age, he was close to his what his father's age would have been when Bruce wrote this. So he wrote it as a young man, and now he's singing it on the other side of the timeline. Yeah, so I wonder if he'd write it now. Yeah, and and to to have that thought and that perspective of and then especially when you hear like when you watch Bruce on Broadway on Netflix or you read the book and you talk about his father and his relationship and how it was a tough one all the time though ultimately at the end um they found their peace and, and they found he, – he knew his father loved him, and they found a way to work this out. To hear that Independence Day from that fresh perspective made it a highlight for me every time I got to see it live. Yeah. yeah. And I never – I didn't have a bad relationship with my dad. Well, there are things we disagree on. Sure. So when – you can't come to that compromise as a, a child or a, a teenager. You know, I can under, I could listen to that song and understand how it can escalate and get out of control. Absolutely. Even though I didn't have that myself, you know, my relationship with my parents has always been great. Mm-hmm. Very lucky that way. Uh, so it, yeah, it seems kind of weird that Independence Day should should strike a chord with it because it's singing about an experience I've not had, mm-hmm. but I can understand. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, so I didn't ask you to begin with, and it just hit me. Are you um, are you still working from home? Are you remotely, or have things have you guys gotten back to the office? No, I've not worked in the office since mid March. So, luckily, luckily for me, I had a a boss that just could see what was going on, could see the worry with people, and just said, "Listen, don't come in." I had an, an element of working from home anyway. And there's no rush to get back, apparently. So that's good. And is everyone safe? Yeah, yeah. Everyone in my family's safe. Everyone's good. everyone's isolated quite well. My nephew is 17. His girlfriend's dad actually passed away oh, with COVID-19. So sad. he's had a lot to cope with uh, these last few weeks. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, he's the only person I know. Well, I don't really know, but the only person that I knew of that has been affected by this. So, I mean, there's other things taken over the news recently, but yes. I don't want people to take the eye off the ball. No. And yeah, I've been listening to 41 Shots a lot this last last week. Um, it's hard not to uh, with everything going on. Um, it is. It, it's such a weird. The U.S. and and our, our the dynamics of race here 
and I, I certainly am not qualified to talk about it um, as a, you know, 61-year-old white guy. My perspective is totally different. Um, but I do know that there is, there's a lot of pain going out there and there's a lot of worry. And um, I thought that, um, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to uh, the latest um, Bruce's DJ session that, that happened on June 3rd. Um, it was a very angry, and, and he, he picked a lot of music that was about social justice, and I thought it was really well done. I've listened to it, but I, I believe that we have a problem picking it up in the UK. Yeah, that's what I've been told before. Um, I, I, um, I know that um, Bruce Funds, Donna, uh, tweeted that she may know a guy that could hook you up if you uh, might need some help or to other people. So um, here's my, um, you know, public service announcement. If you are having trouble getting it, um, throw it out there to the internets, and there might be a way for us to get this because if you haven't heard it, you need to hear it. it, it all five sessions have been amazing, talking a lot about it, sharing his thoughts about what's going on and, and hearing his selection of music is pretty um, – it's diverse and pretty entertaining. I mean, not wanting to get into it too much, but in the UK, we kind of can look smugly over the Atlantic and say, the UK isn't racist, like, uh, or it doesn't have the racial problems and the tensions that America does, but we do, and we kind of hide away from it. But we do have that, and maybe it might not be so much with uh, the black community, it might be with the Muslim community instead. Yeah. Um, you know, Blinded by the Light kind of addresses that, and which was a beautiful film. I, I love the film. I know it wasn't perfect, but it was. It made me smile, and it made me enjoy it, and it made me, not, you know, I, I didn't understand that dynamic, um, because one of the things that I was always I- impressed with as I watched uh, Doctor Who and other British shows is the diverse racial mix of the cast and it was very normal to have someone of a different race uh, shown to be in a relationship with someone and that is only you know fairly recent in u.s television would they do that I don't, i've never thought we were <laughs> trailblazers for the world uh, because one of the things we're not taught about in schools are that, i know we're going away from bruce but i suppose it kind of the values he, he, he speaks yeah. about, he kind of counts towards, is the British Empire. So in schools we're taught, oh, uh, the British Empire meant that we, we got this and we got spices and we got, ex, you know, play, things from other countries that we hadn't had before. And then you go, you speak to people from the other countries and it's like, yeah, they were stolen from us. Oh, people were killed for these things. And that's the kind of thing that's not taught in British schools. But I, I imagine it is a bit more in American schools with the war for independence. But yeah, we we don't see ourselves as the, as ever doing anything bad in history. Well, and I think there's a little bit of that here. And um, like I did not realize till I had watched um, the new HBO series Watchmen. You know, I'm a big comic book fan, and so they did a Damon Lindelof from Lost fame did a, a kind of sequel to the comic book Watchmen. And if you haven't had a chance to see it and you have access, it's really well done. But it starts with um, a race riot that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, back in the early 1920s, it, there was this huge race riot. And uh, Tulsa was known as the Black Wall Street. Um, I had no idea of that. Um, the same guy, Craig, that I mentioned a few minutes ago, who became a European soccer fan, um, said, I grew up in Oklahoma. I, I, I was taught Oklahoma history, you know, and this was never covered. It, it, it just isn't discussed. And um, I think some, um, you know, uh, were covered a little bit about 
uh, you know, I grew up in Louisiana, spent a lot of time there in Kentucky, and um, the a lot of the issues after the Civil War um, might have been touched on, but none of, you know, as I'm growing up, I was born in 59, the, the, the whole injustice of the things people had to fight for in the 60s and 70s uh, were just not something that you talk about in school very often. No, I mean, it's you know, living memory as well. It's yeah, it's strange to have it swept under the carpet like that. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very strange. Um, and I think that songs like 41 Shots and other uh, songs that Bruce has put out and, um, you know, and, um, you know, for the people who say shut up and sing, they, they obviously haven't paid attention that he and other artists have been fighting for equality and for truth, justice, and the right way, um, you know, for a long time. Well, it's true because I think yesterday I saw uh, articles about it being maybe like a 35 years or 36 years since uh, Bruce toured the UK and played a, I don't even heard of a city called Newcastle. Okay. Uh, a big mining community in Newcastle and the northeast of England that was torn apart by the government in the early and mid 80s, late 70s and early 80s. Uh, we had, I remember when I was growing up, the, the, the miners were on strike, coal miners. Mm-hmm. And Bruce played Newcastle and found out about the striking miners, about how they were earning money, the, you know, people were living off the, on the breadline. And two days after the concert in Newcastle, the, the miners in Newcastle got a donation of £20,000 off, off Bruce, which is, you know, He's been doing this for a long time now. So if you're saying shut up and play music, don't talk about politics, you haven't been listening to him or listening to his music properly at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, before we get to the Mary question, any other thoughts you want to share with me? Well, I live next to a conservation site, so we've got a fishing pond and uh, lots of wildlife that comes. We get a guy coming around the pond with his guitar, I've never seen him, but I've heard about him coming. And last week he turned up with his guitar. I just thought about it. Quite yeah. uh, I play a little bit of guitar, so I was chatting to him at a two-meter distance, obviously. And it turned out, I mean, this guy was in his in his late 50s, early 60s, and hadn't heard of Bruce Springsteen, uh, which just completely shocked me. Sure. So I went home. I don't have a CD player anymore, so I thought, well, what can I give him? And I found a couple of Bruce albums. I found Dinosaur on the Edge of Town, a spare copy that I have, and the Springsteen Greatest Hits. I went back out, gave them to him and said, give these a listen. Please give them a listen and see what you think. And he was like, well, I might never see you again. And I was like, I don't care. It's fine. Yeah. I don't have a CD player anymore. It's okay. But just go away, take them, and, and see what you think. I mean, he might hate them, but I, he, he, I don't think he can. No. I'm doing my bit. I'm doing my bit. Absolutely. That is nice. Um, gosh, that's a great way. That's a great story. Great story. All right. So uh, it's time. Uh, for those of you, this is your first episode. Welcome. But uh, Jay Armstrong is a honors English teacher from the Philadelphia area, and every year – he sets aside two days in his um, senior class, and they discuss Thunder Road as a poem. Um, he breaks down all the lyrics, talking about the imagery that they evoke, the story, the premise, uh, comparing it offered to Robert Cross, the road uh, not taken. And at the end of the two days... Um, the question he asked the class is, does Mary get in the car? So, Graham Lees, that is your question. <laughs> does Mary get in the car? Uh, I like enigmatic endings. I, I, there's a lot of people that don't like it. They don't like it when they're, they're not told what happens. Well, I'm not one of those. I like to 
go away and think about it. I don't think she gets in the car. Okay. I really don't. And it's a song that, as I mentioned before, I absolutely love this song. When I first heard it, I was like, that's amazing. But I never liked the line, you ain't a beauty, but yeah, you are right. Yeah. And so for a good while, I, I told myself that's him in the mirror talking to himself. And I hoped it was, but then you listen to it and it's not. He's talking to this, he's talking to Mary and he's kind of saying, you'll do, you'll do for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably a bit better than you, but, you know, I'll take a chance. And if it doesn't work out, I'll drop you somewhere down the line. I think, I think she knows that. And I don't think she's ever got an intention of getting in the car. Uh, it just makes me think of my first relationship, and never not that I said that, not that I said that to her at all. Mm-hmm. But I see two 18-year-olds here. When I was 18 and I had my, my girlfriend was 18, we were both going off to university, and we were going down two different roads. And we didn't, we weren't seeing eye to eye. Were lots of arguments happening, and. I think I was Mary in this situation where I maybe I pulled away from that knowing that this was going to be too difficult for me. And uh, my girlfriend, Alison, at the time, she was she was the Bruce character. She was asking me to get on, get from the porch into the into the seat and go on the road with her. And I didn't get in the car. And it's not it's not a thing of regret that I've got or anything like that. It's just that we were going in two different directions, and I think these two are going in two different directions. Interesting. I I like that idea. You know, one of the things, um, and I and I've had a lot of people discuss this, and um, you know, I've had people, um, you know, this is the reason Linda doesn't like Thunder Road is she thinks that they're settling. He is telling her, well, you know, uh, you've got flaws, I've got flaws. Instead of trying to find someone better, let's see if we can make a life through each other. And so that is, she doesn't, um, you know, appreciate that. Though I've had other people that said that line is actually him going, no, 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 you're a beauty. No, you're, you're more than all, you know, right. So I think it is how all you take it, but I, I love the idea, you know, I, I good answer. Good answer on that. Thanks. Thanks. It's a tough one. I've been thinking, I've been worried about that. It's just, and that relationship I was in, you know, it didn't end great. Yeah. But two different roads, does that road ever intertwine? It did at times, you know, but. Sure. It's, the you know, with hundreds of miles apart, it's it, it fine. It worked out fine. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, this has been absolutely amazing. Um, I, I have loved your stories. I've loved getting to know you. Um, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Twitter's the best place to get hold of me. Okay. Uh, as my wife will say, you're never off it. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, G Lee's five one five zero on Twitter. Okay, very nice. I think um, my name on those Fifty Shades of Graham. Yes, it is, and I love that. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, if you want to be on the show and share your Springsteen story, I'd love to have you. You can uh, reach out to me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is on Twitter at SetLustingBruce. You can email me setlustingbruce at gmail.com. If you have Thoughts about the show, if you want to join me on the show, uh, give us feedback on different uh, titles, I'd love to have you. Uh, we do have a webpage, setlessingbruce.com, and from there, you can go to our Patreon page, you can go to our show uh, our show store, where you can buy a, a Mary t-shirt or a Set Lessing Bruce t-shirt, and uh, links to other podcasts and other blogs about Springsteen. Well, Graham... This has been a absolute joy. Um, I appreciate your time and you sharing so many great stories. I hope as the summer moves forward that you do get some rain 
but I hope that you and everyone you love stays safe. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Any final thoughts you want to share with us? Just uh, one quick story from Glasgow. <laughs> it, was, it was not very long, sorry. No, no, that's I'm great. Turn my echo down. Uh, we didn't know how to get back into Glasgow. It, it was at uh, Hamden, Hamden Park, which is the, the football national stadium of Scotland. And I asked the security guard which was the best way to get back into Glasgow city centre afterwards. He said that it was the train, but I knew that it was a small station and there was 50,000 people wanting to get out of there. And I said, well, if we wanted to walk, which direction is it? And he, he, I won't do the accent, but he just he, he gave me a funny look and he said, okay, well, it, it's over that direction, pointed east, and said, but promise me, if anyone chases you, run. Run as fast as you can. I thought, that sounds great. <laughs> Glasgow sounds like a great place. But luckily, there was 50,000 people who had the same idea. So nobody mugged us on the way home that night. That is awesome. That is a great, great story. All right. Uh, listeners, you stay safe. You take care of yourselves. And we will see you further on down the road. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Speak to you later. Bye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. Set Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.